as, as, as a natural byproduct of loving him and receiving one of the greatest creations ever. And that is relationship. And, and the aspect of that relationship being the citadel of God, which is the heart of every believer. The greatest miracle is the transformation of a wicked, deceitful heart into the heart of God. That we would have the heart of the Father. That is the work of the gospel. That is the work that, that, that we would have the holiness of Christ Jesus in the heart of the Father. I, I, I just, and we could spend a lot of time in Matthew, and I, th- I, I think that's just such a focus point when we think of the commission, but, but we have, I want to touch on the other gospels and the other commissions of the gospels, because I, I, I think it brings a fullness and an understanding of what we're called to do in this hour. Uh, you, you don't have to turn there, but uh, Mark uh, chapter 16, 16 verse 30, uh, the, uh, the, the, the commissioning was to preach the good news to all of creation. What's the good news? That, that Jesus has come. That's the good news. That whoever believes would be baptized and saved. And that even this commissioning that, that, that don't worry, these things that would naturally harm you aren't gonna. The vipers, the poison, the, the whatever might be given to you, whatever you might face, that you will speak in new tongues. This is all, all part of that commissioning. In Mark chapter 24, verse 46, uh, we, we see this commissioning a little different, but, but the same aspects. It's the repentance and forgiveness of sin that will then be preached in his name, which name? The name of Jesus, to all nations. You know, these are, these are other commissionings in the other Gospels. We've we got to see it all together that... that Making disciples does not mean that we don't need to preach the gospel. Making disciples that does not mean that we don't need to be calling people to repentance. It's all together as one. It's, it's all one. We are called. We're called to be carriers of peace. John 20, verse 29. The peace be with you, for the Father has sent me, and I now am sending you. We're carriers of God's peace. So wherever we go, we, in the natural, we can try to peacekeep, but that often gets in the way of peacemaking. But part of that commissioning is to be carriers of God's peace. That's when he commissioned the disciples. He said, you know, you go in the home and, and, and your peace will stay, right? If, 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 that's a, if that's a house that will accept it, but then you take your peace with you if that's a home that doesn't accept it. So, so we're called to be carriers of God's peace as well. You know, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. What, so what did he commission the disciples with? He gave them authority to preach and to drive out demons. Come on. And preach repentance. I mean, this is still an active part of what every single believer is called. That there is a community and a world around us that is dying, that is hopeless, that is lost that has lost their way. They've never found their way. But, but as an integral part of this gospel is the call for every believer to preach and declare the good news. Every believer, every believer, we've been called for such a purpose. The purpose of the gospel is to heal and to save. 
I want to read you a quote, and I want you to guess who this quote is from. The design of the gospel was to conquer the devil and to cure the world. Come on. How'd you get that, huh? Wow. Good one, Debbie. You, you got me on that one. You got me on that one. We've been having fun back there. Can't believe you guys. So Matthew Henry was a, a modern scholar, right, from the 1960s with radical ideas. I don't know. Now, he's from the 1600s. Yeah. He was a nonconformist Protestant, one of the earliest. Nonconformist meaning that he did not believe that the Church of England's laws and regulations uh, applied to the church. One of those things being the queen was the head of the church. Just, he wasn't gelling with that, so they called him a nonconformist. This is from the 1600s. Let me read that again. The design of the gospel was to conquer the devil and to cure the world. What part of those two things, can I ask a question, maybe doesn't sit on you very well? To conquer the devil, does, how does that sit on you? Or to cure the world, how does that sit on you? Because both of these are, are truths that, that, that Jesus puts forth. Both of these are, 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 are real living desires of the Father that not only should none be lost, but that all would be healed, all would be delivered. This is the heart of the Father, whether that's an actual reality now, doesn't change the hope that we should have. This is the hope of the gospel that we should have to conquer the devil. What was Jesus' mission? My mission, the destroy the works of the enemy, destroy the works of the devil. We're on that mission as well. The design of the gospel was to conquer the devil and to cure the world. What a radical statement. But so true. That's the heart of the Father. Then in you is the hope of glory. In you is the cure of the ailments that surround you in this society, in this world. This world we can look at as, as, as wicked and deceitful, and, and, and sure it is. And in a lot of ways, we can begin to separate ourselves, and we should be. When God says, when the scripture says to, to separate yourself from the world, it, it doesn't mean to not be in the world preaching the gospel. It means to remember where you're from. It means to remember that you're a child of God, that you're a part of a different kingdom. It doesn't mean that we literally separate ourselves from the message of the gospel from the world around us. Because we can look at this generation, we call them wicked. We can call them all kinds of things. But when I look at the wicked generation in the scripture for the Old and the New Testament, it's a little different than how I would interpret it today. Because honestly, most of the time it was religious leaders they were accused of being wicked because they prayed it around the Pharisees. They prayed it around with the religion. They prayed it around boasting of all that they had done in public or all that they had done before people. But their hearts were dark, dark to the point that John didn't even know why they were there when they came and he was baptizing people and the Pharisees and Sadducees showed up and, and, and his reaction was this like, like you here to avoid the coming judgment? I mean, like, what motivated you? What motivated you in the wickedness of your heart? Because it caused them, right, vipers, when they first come up. It's like, man, what could have possibly brought you here? I think it was a deep call from him to say, do you know? 
Do you know that unless something changes, you're in trouble? You're in trouble. Or it was the Sadducees, this leaven of the Sadducees, right, that, that was against everything religious. It, was against, it, it fought against religious beliefs. It was often, often when we look around at the wicked that we would call wicked, they're the very ones that Jesus was ministering to. He was loving and engaging with and fellowshipping with. And they were coming to know him. Wherever this generation chooses to go, what, whatever wickedness they might take home, we cannot lose hope in the power of the gospel. We cannot lose hope that the gospel is, to, is here to save, heal, and deliver. My dad spoke on knowing God so well. I mean, just from the position of faith. And, uh, and I just want to give this other definition of faith. We just talked about the gift of faith, but we also talked about the walk of faith. As we know, and I've talked about before, that, that, that 238 times in the New Testament, uh, the Greek word there is to be persuaded uh, when, it, when it speaks of faith. I've never seen such greater persuasion. Uh, it's not a second or third definition. It's the first definition of the word, to be persuaded. It gives us an understanding of the part and the walk of God, right? They're, 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 what, what, is, what is the work of God? To believe in the one who he sent, right? That's the work of God is to believe, right? We want to talk about works, believe. That's, that's the work. That's the walk is to continue to believe, to be persuaded of his goodness, that you live in such a way, to be, to be persuaded of his goodness, that, that, that the fruit is shown in the lives around you, right? That's what is John the Baptist's heart was to see that fruit. And Jesus as well. Oh, man. But so much of the time, we forget that we can position ourselves to be more faith-filled. We can position ourselves to be persuaded. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, but there's a lot of pages in between that are determined by where you position yourself to be persuaded. This isn't a light word of the New Testament. 238 times it means persuaded, the word faith. How are you positioning yourself daily? Are we positioning ourselves in the Word of God? Are we positioning ourselves in worship? Are we positioning ourselves... To spend time alone with God, as Jesus did, as John the Baptist did. To hear his voice, to be led by the Spirit, to, to be alone, to go through wilderness experiences so that we can come out with the power of the Holy Spirit. To know him so well that it's okay to be alone with God. It's okay, we don't have to find something to preoccupy ourselves or something we have to pick up. I used to have intimate times with God in the bathroom until this phone started following me in there. I got to get back. I won't get any more descriptive, but I got to get back to that, right? I got to get back to those intimate times. One of my favorite stories for Marlene, who's just it's a sister that I just so um, just honor her faith and honor her walk. I think we can see the fruit of her life. But her most intimate times with God are at the garbage can. I remember that story. You go out to the garbage can, and that was her most precious times with God. Right there at the garbage can. 
man, what, what do our intimate times with God look like? Because I tell you, unless we know that he has all authority in heaven and earth, man, you can do, do the stuff. You can do the stuff of the Great Commission. But man, if you don't have God confidence to know that, that, that he overcame the world, and now in 1 John, we have overcome the world as well, what kind of, we need the God confidence to know, but that the, 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 the power that comes, the, a gospel without power is not good news. That's, that's one of the cornerstones of our, our, our belief system at Dayspring. A gospel without power is not good news. But that comes through intimacy with the Lord. And so I wanted to start out this month talking about knowing God. Knowing Him and knowing and being intimate with the Lord is the place that the commission happens out of. It's when we go out and we preach the gospel, but then the gospel message is anointed because it's the spirit of Jesus, the living word that goes forth from us because we have intimate relationship with us. And so it's not a gospel that falls on silent ears, but it's, it's a gospel that comes through the relationship that we have with Jesus and the very word of life, the, God himself, right, the word, comes through us and it touches and it lands and, 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 and it finds that good soil then it can begin to germinate because we're anointed to preach. That's part of the commissioning of the gospel. Don't forget that part. Yes, disciples, and I, we talk quite a bit about discipleship. I want to talk about some of the other aspects of the commission today. You've been anointed to preach. How are we anointed to preach? To be under the anointing. How do we get under the anointing? The Holy Spirit, right? We live under the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Smith Wigglesworth said something, and it just shocked me. He said, in one of his meetings, he said, do you have the Holy Spirit? Good question, right? Let's raise our hands. Do you have the Holy Spirit this morning? Now the question comes, does the Holy Spirit have you? That's the deeper question. We have to be anointed. To preach the good news. Let's go back to Zechariah 4. Turn with me, if you will. Zechariah chapter 4 talks about the golden lampstands. And I'll start reading, you can catch up. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. He asked, what do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He said, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. Well, that's what a start to that. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. We sing that song. Who are you, great mountain? You should not bow low. I've been singing that to the spirit of fear over this nation for two years now. So what is this then? Then he will bring out the capstone. Who's our capstone? Jesus. He will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple. His hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent you who despises the day of small beginnings? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hands of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord 
which range throughout the whole earth. Then I asked the Lord, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I said, what are these two olive branches beside the two golden pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know? No, my Lord. These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of the whole earth. There's a, a, another translation I'd like to uh, recommend as well, and that's that these are the sons of oil that stand before the Lord of the whole earth. It's, uh, it's either one of those. It's anointed ones or the sons of oil. And I believe that's actually who we are. I believe we are actually sons of oil, commissioned for the purpose of carrying the very anointing of God. You know, growing up as a Christian, I would always think of the name Jesus Christ as the last name of Jesus, right? Hi, I'm Philip Wilson. Hi, I'm Jesus Christ. And I even thought when they were given the nickname of, uh, of Christian, right, in Acts, that, uh, that it was a teaser. It was like, you Christians, you little Christs, you little followers of Christ. I almost thought it was derogatory in some ways. I don't know why. But then when I realized that that's not what Christ means at all. Christ means anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. That's what the name Christ means. So when, when the early disciples were given that name, they're actually saying, you are the anointed ones. You are the anointed ones. And that's what we're called to be as Christians. Christians, the anointed ones. The branch from Jesse, Isaiah chapter 11. Let's turn there, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, the branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Right? Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So what we see there is, are the seven spirits of God. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. The seven spirits of God. In fact, uh, we can turn back to Zechariah 4. And there were seven lampstands that led to these anointed ones that were charged with releasing the anointed oil. What are the seven? That's the fullness of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, and now we are walking in fullness if we are under the power of the Holy Spirit. But being under the power of the Holy Spirit is a daily choice. It, it, it's something that if we are under the anointing of God, the, the commissioning, the, the, what's necessary to be able to love a world around us that is making all the wrong choices instead of hating them, yeah. has to do with who we know. Who do we know? We have an opportunity that the fullness of God through, through the Holy Spirit, those seven spirits of God, that we would become those anointed ones going around, what? Curing the world around us. As, as Matthew Henry said, curing the world as we carry the very anointing oil of, of Jesus with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Revelations chapter 5, you don't have to turn there because I'm going to be going around. Revelations chapter 5, oh man, this always gets me. Oh man. Then the one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root. <laughs> the root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat at the throne. And when he had taken the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a king and priest to serve our God and they will reign on earth. That's the power of the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The redemption of mankind because of a father who is deeply emotional. In fact, I I love this statement from Roland Baker. You can just stick it up there. Uh, about God, if it's there, we'll find it. I just like that. Do we believe it? He's the most emotional person in the universe. Deeply moved. They would, he would come on behalf of his creation. Are we going to be those anointed ones? Are we going to be those ones that walk around just... And what happens when we get in the presence of God is this oil just begins to drip all over our head. You know, I had this opportunity in Zimbabwe to, uh, to minister with this group of people. that They're all dressed in white. It was the men, women were on one side, the men were on the other. And I think they've mixed a lot of different practices of different things. And uh, they believe that Moses was coming from America. And, well, I happened to be an American. And, and so I don't know how God used that. But... But, but I tell you, we were trying to get by, and we couldn't get by. We couldn't get by this group, and many of you have heard this story, but I, I want to finish it with one aspect. So we walked around this group, and I saw this guy with, with a blind eye, very, very old gentleman, probably in his 90s, and I prayed for his eye, and I asked him permission. He said, this might be part of the prophecy, and I said, okay, well, let me just, can I pray for your eye? And, and so I did, and we went on, and uh, on our way back, um, some of the young prophets which had staffs were out there uh, waiting for us and they were telling us to move along, move along, move along, move along, except my feet could not move. My feet were stuck to the ground and this guy's in my face saying, move along, but my feet couldn't move along. They were stuck schmuck. I mean, I was not going anywhere. And finally, this guy flustered says, what do you want? And I just said, I, I just want to share with the group. I just want to share. And so he went away and he consulted with all the tribal elders of this group. And uh, they came back and they said, okay, but you're going to have to take your shoes off. Roll up your pant legs. And they put a white robe over me. <clears throat> and, uh, and so it so happened that the old man that I prayed for was actually the leader of the whole group the first time we went by. And so he stood up and he said that we've been fasting for three days and we saw a vision of your group coming through so that we knew that we were supposed to let you say whatever you want to say, so therefore you can say it. And it was one of the most beautiful moments to stand up and feel the anointing of God, the oil that comes, not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, 
Do all that comes that may not look the way that you want it to look, but don't despise small beginnings. The oil that comes the way God wants it to, as we're under his lordship, as we're under his lordship, as we submit ourselves under him, then the anointing begins to flow out of those seven, the, the healing of the nations, those olive trees, they begin to flow, and then suddenly the cure for the world around us begins to come through us. Because that's what we've been called to be. That's what the word Christian means, to be anointed, the anointed ones. And so in the middle of this, I, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with this group of people and to invite the Holy Spirit to come down. And at the end, and I sat down, the old man, he, he stood up, the, the leader of this group, and he said, I saw an oil from heaven coming down on your head. That's what the leader of this group said. I saw an oil that was coming from heaven and it was flowing on your head. I tell you, it's the Holy Spirit. I tell you, we can't fulfill the Great Commission without him unless we have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, unless we have an intimate relationship with God and Jesus. This will just manifest out of works and we'll add religious rules and regulations that will be so bound because we've allowed a religious spirit or a legalistic spirit to begin to operate when we're out of intimacy with God. But the kingdom of God is not try, 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 try. Yes, there's a positioning, but what is the work of God? To believe. That's the work of God. To rest. To receive and then to release. And we can't miss any of those elements of how to walk under the anointing. We need to rest. Be a people of rest. Be a people of peace to make sure that we're guarding our, 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 our time with the Lord as a precious thing. He desires intimacy with us. He's the most emotional person in the universe. Why wouldn't he desire intimacy with us? If his greatest creation was relationship, he wants it with you. He's desperate to be with you. He wants to spend that time with you. So we've got to rest in his presence. And then we've got to be willing to receive from him the Holy Spirit and the anointing that drips off of us. And then the job is to release but well, we can't get the Great Commission out of order. It started with a love exchange with the Father, and it's rooted in relationship and knowing Him. It's in knowing God. You know, that, that word knowing uh, is very interesting because the, through the New Testament, they use different words for knowing. Um, you know, it, it, it often falls uh, on, on just uh, understanding or knowledge, but there's a particular word I love, gnosko, and it's the Greek word that, that, that means to have an intimate knowledge. It's actually the word that's used for intimacy between a man and a woman. In fact, that word gnosko is used when, when, uh, when Mary's like, ah, I've not gnoskoed, so I don't know how this is going to happen. Right? That's the, that's the same word that was used. You know, it's the same word that Paul also uses when he says, I want to know you more. I want to know the power of the resurrection that worked through me. You can see that passion that drives him to walk in and not be very popular saying this, but I seek to know nothing among you except Christ and in him crucified. That's the passion that he had. But what he desired was a knowing that was intimate. An intimate knowing. That, that word gnosko is used again. And, and it's, what a way that it's used again. 
depart from you. Depart from me because I never gnoscoed you. Depart from me for I never had intimate relationship with you. So depart from me. I want to touch on a few things and that's the authority of the believer. Because let's, let's go back to that. To preach the good news. The power of the gospel brings power over the enemy. Power over sickness. Power over creation. Incredible things. My spiritual father, uh, grandfather, um, really, uh, Philip Morabier once, uh, he was a Hindu and he got saved and he was on an ocean liner and the presence of God was so strong on him that everyone on, the, on this ship, a modern ship, knew who he was. They, they had, they, they, because he just carried presence. He just carried the presence of God and, and just affected this whole ship. Uh, the captain was aware of him. And, and when they got into this turbulent uh, oceans and seas, the captain began to get concerned for the integrity of the vessel and whether they would actually capsize because the seas were so rough. Well, who did the captain get a hold of? But he got a hold of Philip. And uh, he called Philip. He said, Philip, unless something happens, we're going down. And Philip, reading just a few pages of the gospel and the ones that he could sneak under his bed, went out on the deck of the ship. I don't know how he went out, but maybe he just wanted to. Maybe open a portcullis or... I don't know exactly, but he was open to the outside and he spoke to the storm and he said, be still. And in that very moment, the sky broke, the clouds broke, calm came and the sea became as crystal glass. Now you talk about a testimony for the people aboard. The gospel has given us power, but that power comes through relationship. We're not the only ones that know. In fact, we're not the only ones that have actually had a Gnosko relationship. Because there's another time that Gnosko is used. The sons of Sceva. Yeah. When they try to cast out this spirit and they don't know the Lord, they don't have intimate relationship with God. You know what the demon says back to them? He says, I actually gnosko Jesus. Every fallen angel at one point, they don't currently, but at one point has had an intimate relationship with God. He was saying, yeah, I've been, I have, I have been intimate. And I even know of Paul. Who are you? Who are you? You know, the, the commission is to drive out spirits, right? That people would be free and set free, but we don't know that without being intimate with the Lord, without gnosking Him, knowing Him so well. And that's often what faith could be. There's a Roland Baker quote. I just want to tag this onto what my dad was sharing earlier about faith. Did I have that one? Yeah. Just read that. Uh, I don't know. Wow. How about that? We know him intimately. We know him well enough to know what he wants to do in a given situation, and we can see heaven invade earth. We can see the cure for the world around us where no peace was brought unless we come in. One of my, 
One of my favorite psalms, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. But when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls are incredible, but, and they, they speak of the validity of Scripture. And in fact, the, the greatest scholars say they only complement Scripture. And this is the celebration of the 50th year since they were released, I believe, or made public. Um, because they were actually held within a couple uh, uh, universities in, uh, in Jerusalem. But it was only at the point that they were made public. Uh, and uh, there's just a slight variation in the, um, but I think it speaks to both, of course, and that's what scholars say. The, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls say, you shall go out with joy and you will bring peace. Wow. That's what we've been called to do as believers, is to bring peace. Bring peace in the community around us. One of my favorite stories for Sandra, she goes into come and go and there's just wild chaos. There's a lady screaming from the bathroom at the top of her lungs. And Sandra just opens the door. It must have been unlocked, but she just whew, opens that door. She looks at the lady. Sandra, could you stand up? Because I need like a pictorial thing here. Where are you? Just to embarrass you. Yeah, just, she's all the way at the back. Right. She just walks in. She opens the door and she said, peace. And this lady, shocked, just stops. And starts to reflect on an atmosphere that shifted around her because now suddenly she feels peace. And she said, I, I feel peace. I feel peace. I feel peace. Because we're called to be peacemakers. We're called to start the wave. We don't have to wait for a wave. The wave's in us. The holiness of God is in us. Jesus Christ. That's the holiness of God. Our heart is not our own. It's the heart of God that is in us. The greatest miracle ever. The heart of God could be in us where there once was a wicked heart. But that's the power of the gospel. That's the gospel. There are many, many, many... There are many, 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 many people around us that are in need of the hope that's in us. But we've got to know him got to know him to walk this out that's not a fear thing there are new christians that are driving out spirits it's we don't you know we have a deliverance training coming up but 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 my parents were ministering deliverance for years before they ever understood what deliverance was it's the power of the gospel at work to set people free from demonic powers and we all what we find is is we know god and we know his heart and we get so caught up with his love that we go about doing good and healing all those who've been oppressed by the devil because he is around us. He is, he is scheming against us. But we do not need to be afraid. The enemy wants you to be afraid of him. But uh, a friend of mine, Larry Ingratia, he's not here this morning. Uh, one of our incredible pastors, uh, uh, when he was pastoring a church, actually had a, a young lady, I believe, come in. Um, or her parents that came in. And this girl came out of the satanic church. Um, she was, uh, she was uh, uh, not even the cult, but it was a, it was a clear-lined satanic church and as this girl began to share some revelation came to Larry and that was that in the satanic church they understand the power of God and they understand that God is actually more powerful they understand but their mission is to distract and disrupt and to cause believers to not walk in what they've called to walk in so their mission is 
is to distract and disrupt. But there is awareness, even within the, the, the satanic church, that God is stronger. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? I mean, even the, the demons were intimately aware of that, right? They were aware of who God was. In fact, to the point that there was so much false flattery, like Jesus had to stop or false attention being given that Jesus had to just stop them at the beginning and say, no, not going to say that. Or how about the girl that just followed Paul and Silas around, right? That false flattery, false attention that was not from God. Oh, these men, these men, you know, that spirit was aware who they were. And when Paul, when, when Paul cast that spirit out of her, then some crazy stuff began to happen. And they were imprisoned. They were imprisoned and they were put in the deepest shackles, not just any shackle, but some of the deepest shackles. The, the deepest room, not just arm shackles, but ankle shackles. And I just want to turn there. I believe that's uh, Acts. Yeah, Acts 16. Um, so in Acts 16, as they're cast into this prison, you know what's interesting to me is we, we see the gospel so eloquently spoken by Peter, just out of the mouth of God, the simple gospel. If you want the simple gospel, go to Acts 3, right? Just the simple gospel message. And then they said, what must we do? There's another time in Acts that they say, what must we do? But it didn't actually follow after a simple gospel message. It was actually two men who had been beaten who'd been stripped naked, and not just flogged, but severely, it says, severely flogged, who were thrown into the deepest, darkest dungeon, who were not just ankle shackled, but foot shackled as well. And let's just catch up on the story here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. You know, the interesting thing about the word hymn there is that it comes from the, the, the word uh, Pascal, which is the, uh, it's the, uh, the Hebrews during Passover, uh, they would sing very specific psalms. And in fact, we were aware of what the psalm and the song that Jesus and the disciples would have sung uh, after, after, the, um, after the Last Supper. So let's, let's listen in because uh, from Psalm 113 to 118, it's the Pascal hymns which are uh, in, in likelihood when Paul and Silas were chained in that prison, they went back to Jesus. They went back to that precious time with Jesus when they were singing together, and they began to sing as well. Let's, let's listen in to what they were singing.
take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. All their nations surrounded me, but the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me every side, but the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Shouts of joy and victory resounds in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Come on. The Lord is with me. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. What's incredible as you read through this, it talks again about uh, the Lord being their Savior. It's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 118. So are those other psalms as well. We know what they were singing, or a good likelihood of what they were singing. But as they were singing, this transformation began to happen. And I, I love this transformation. I want to go just a few minutes long here. Transformation began to happen around them. And, and, and it's because they knew the Lord so well that in that moment, heaven, the anointing that was on their life, began to invade that whole cell and transformation began to happen around them. But what were they doing? They were singing. They were singing in the midst of the darkness, in the mix. They, they, they could well have been naked in those chains. Uh, uh, flogged severely, it says. And then, then what happens? What happens? As they were praying and singing and the other prisoners were listening. <laughs> I bet the jailer was listening too about these songs of salvation. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, can we say this, all, all prison doors flew open. Now let's say everybody's chains came loose. Well, that's interesting. So now the earthquake has opened up holes in the wall. Every prisoner's door is open and every prisoner's chains have fallen off. That's a good time to get out. If there was ever a time to get out, that's the time. But they were so transfixed with the anointing and the presence of God that were on Peter and Silas because they knew him. They knew him. And look what happens as they sing to the Lord. This wasn't the Roman road, right? This was them carrying the presence of God and being intimate with him that heaven invaded that jail cell to the point that the jailer was coming into uh, Harry Carey, right? He was coming in to end his life. The jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he, he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, 
don't harm yourself. We are all here. Every one of those prisoners was so transfixed with the presence in the atmosphere of heaven. So the jailer called for the lights and fell down and trembling before Paul and Silas. And we get to hear this again. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the kingdom of God. It doesn't always look the way we think it looks. It looks in the middle of your tribulation, your pain, and your circumstances, celebrating the King of Kings and that atmosphere, transforming communities, transforming people around you. And then he gives them the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. That's the simple gospel message. Amen? All right. Let's grab our communion cups. We're going to go just a few minutes long here. I just want to take a moment this morning and just celebrate. Boy, we want to celebrate our king. We want to celebrate Jesus. Could you grab me a communion cup? Sorry. <laughs> we want to celebrate him. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. You were the Passover lamb. Lord, we thank you for that Pascal bread. <laughs> we thank you, Jesus, for the hymns of praise that were lifted to you. Oh, Lord, and we thank you that this body was broken for us, that in this body is all the provision that we will need. But it comes out of relationship. Jesus says, take and eat my flesh. In other words, we've got to have part of him in us. It, it, it's him in us that is, that is the power that is behind the gospel, and it's through the, the body of Christ Jesus as we take and eat of his flesh. The power of of God to bring the provision that is necessary through the body of Jesus. This is an opportunity that God is saying, maybe you've been under the table. Maybe you felt like a dog. Maybe you felt unworthy. Maybe you've been eating the crumbs that have been under the table, but God invites you to the children's bread. He invites you to come up to the table this morning and take and eat of the manna from heaven, the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, this morning. Let's just take a moment. Lord, we thank you, God, for the body that was broken for us. And we take it now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that flows, that cleanses. Thank you because of what you've done. We can be in the light. And then as we fellowship in the light with one another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We thank you that this morning, we have that opportunity that the blood of Jesus once again reunites us. We're already reunited as the son of Adam. But now the blood of Jesus unites us into one body. With all of our differences across this globe, we are one body because of the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the unity of this church, the unity Father God, of the churches within this city to reach the world around us. The unity and the power of the gospel to go forth. The design of the gospel was to conquer the devil and to cure the world. So let's just together take the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Father. Just invite the uh, altar ministry teams to come up. Holy Spirit, 
Holy Spirit, if you've been struggling to know the Lord, if you've been struggling in your relationship with God, perhaps this morning you could say, I have the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have me. Perhaps this morning that um, you could say that there are things that are blocking me from intimacy with God, and I want to be free of those things. I want those things out of the way that I can once again be intimate with my Lord. Or perhaps this morning as our, as our brother accepted the Lord that you don't know the Lord. You, you haven't had a relationship with him. You're not aware of his goodness. And you would know it because your life would be different. You'd be transformed by the love of God. You wouldn't be the same person. And if you can't say that, then I invite you this morning to come and receive Jesus as your Savior. We all just stand together. And as always within this house, we invite you that if you need healing in your body, we thank you, Jesus, that, that, that he is here to deliver us because he carried and bore those things upon himself. If you're here this morning and you've not been able to break a sin cycle in your life, and there are addictions that are holding you captive, I invite you this morning just to come down and watch the power of the Spirit deliver you from whatever may be uh, availing, whatever may be coming against you. Father, we just thank you this morning that you're going to use us. Holy Spirit, we are your anointed ones this morning. We give everything to you, Jesus. We come under your Lordship, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Just come on up front. If, if that's what you're feeling, just be bold. Be bold. If you feel like there's been a... Uh, if, if the Lord has just been pushing you to recognize who your neighbor is, whether that's next door to you or a co-worker or whatever it is. Some of the most amazing times that I had with the Lord were actually, as I just lived out a consistency within my life. I, 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 love, I love that. I, I, I love the idea that Christian maturity is that consistency that just comes as we walk with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just lift you up, Father. We lift you up this morning. Lord, I just thank you for, there's not a single person in this room that is disqualified. There's not a single person in this room that cannot be anointed. There's not a single person in this room that cannot carry the Holy Spirit to bring transformation. Not a single person in this, this room that cannot experience the fullness of God that comes through the Holy Spirit. That we would be those anointed ones. Wherever we go, just releasing anointing oil and curing the world around us through his grace and mercy and power. So we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all. Just really uh, thank you for letting me go along there. There were some things that I was going to say that I will say next time. Yep. And uh, I want to encourage you guys. Um, Men's ministry is kicking off again with a breakfast. You want to be a part of this. You want to be a part of this. So at the back there, there's sign-up tables for men's ministry for the breakfast coming up. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we have Jack and Francisco. Francisco, wave. they're going to be sharing with us. And we're just going to have an awesome breakfast at Golden Corral. Apparently they have a, a made-to-order omelet table. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Made-to-order omelets, huh? Bless you guys. Make sure you greet each other. Encourage each other.
And the altars are still open up here, so 